Welcome to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. We're really glad you're here. Whoever you are, wherever you're at, join us on the journey. So I'm delighted to introduce uh, uh, Deb to you. Deb Yedlin, uh, you all got, if you didn't get it, um, you should have got uh, a note about who she is. So I won't go through all of that, but she is the CEO of the Chamber of Commerce in Calgary. Uh, she was also um, the chancellor at the University of Calgary. Her bio says she's been on Bay Street and Wall Street and um, also on McLeod Trail as well, we know. Uh, she's a mom. She's got three kids. How old are they? Yeah, I think you're... Works, okay, uh, 28, 26, and 25. There you go. And you moved to Calgary in 93. I moved here in 92. Yeah. I read about it as well. But um, So you have been a significant Calgary, Calgarian, and we're so glad that you're sharing time with us. We know you're a busy person. Uh, she's also uh, a part of the Jewish community. Uh, rabbi Gluckman is your, Mark is your rabbi, and so we give thanks that you're part of this. But here's the most interesting thing about her, I think, and I love. She's a cyclist. So just quickly, where did you tell me a few places you biked already this year? Uh, well, this year, um, been pretty close to home. So the 1A, the Highwood Pass, road to Brad Creek yesterday through all the construction. Been around the reservoir through Fish Creek, um, just trying to take advantage of every beautiful morning that I can. So, yeah. I knew I'd love you. That's awesome. So great. <laughs> Not so today, though. Too much smoke. Okay, so people say, what is the Chamber of Commerce anyway? So what is the Chamber of Commerce anyway? I call us... Uh, in a broad sense, we are conveners, connectors, and advocates for the Calgary business community. So we bring people together, lar businesses together, large and small, uh, to network, to connect, to find ways to grow their businesses. But we also do a, a lot of work on the policy front to make sure that businesses have the underlying policies so that they can succeed in what they're striving to do. Uh, everything from, you know, we work with all levels of government, we're nonpartisan, we're entirely member-funded, and we work on what our businesses reflect to us as important. So, for example, we were very, very uh, focused on making sure that the provincial government was going to uh, sign on to the child care agreement so that we had affordable child care in this city because this is one issue that we've had for such a long time. Alberta's had the lowest labor force participation rate of women for a very, very long time, and we really need to turn that around. It's, it's, it's much better, but affordable childcare is absolutely critical to make sure that, A, we have everybody part of the economy, but also, you know, B, that, um, that there should not be a choice between going to work or staying home because you cannot afford care for your, for your children, and that's, you know, men and women. Um, we know working families are challenged, especially in this affordable time of uh, rising inflation and another interest rate hike. Let's not talk about that. <laughs> so do you, how, many, how many businesses are there in Calgary? Ballpark. Oh, gosh. Uh, I actually don't know you the answer. You'd say lots. Yeah, lots, yeah. Okay. Like, okay. okay. 55,000? Like, it's, it's quite large. And so, you know, and we also, so, you know, we, we advocate on that, that um, for the... From the policy standpoint, we also, you know, talk to uh, feral, provincial, municipal entities as well, just to make, and because we are, I call us the cloak of invisibility, right? For everybody who was um, a Harry Potter fan, we have members large and small. So actually, when you're part of the chamber, we can advocate and nobody can point a finger at you and say, you said this. Maybe we did, maybe we didn't, but the chamber said it on our behalf, so you can't actually point a finger. So that's our, that's our superpower. Good superpower. So do you, um, you meet once a month as a, as a group, obviously, okay? 
and anyone can be part of that as, uh, as part oh, of I mean, business. we have events all the time. Oh, yeah. I know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. we had an event. We have actually, if you have time tomorrow, we have an event, Confluence YYC. We're talking about diversity. And it's from 5 to 7.30. Josh knows the answer to this. I can't remember where it is. So his yeah, teleprompter Calgary is Chamber. my son. Yeah. His tele so I just want to give a shout out. Josh Pentland works for us at the Chamber. We have, uh, he's part of our policy team. We have the best policy team in the city. And so that's another reason why you should join the Chamber if you're not part of us. So Josh okay. is here today. So that's what it is. And we you know we're living in what I would call a divided province politically right now, uh, just coming through an election. So. Uh, we've been thinking about it's time. What's it time for? And people had a chance to say what it's time for for Calgary. What would you say right now? How would you answer that? What is it time for for Calgary? Time for so many things. Um, you know, when, when, when uh, you just talk about a divided uh, time, I, my first thought after the election was uh, the book of Matthew and every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. I hope not. And every city or house divided itself will not, against itself will not stand. And if there's one thing that worries me greatly is the fact that we are so divided. When we look at the electoral results, north, south, east, you know, the, the way the city's divided as well. What we need is leadership that is forward-looking, that understands the importance of creating a just and welcoming society, that is courageous, that is long-lived uh, long beyond an election cycle, that is prepared to bridge the divide, prepared to spend political capital, and set aside partisan interests to do what's best for the province, the city, the country. One of our business leaders has said to me over and over again, it's jurisdiction first, party second. And so much of that has been lost in the last 10 to 15 years. And we really need some courage and the sort of the patience and the commitment to, be, to look forward and bring people together because that is something we need more than ever as a city and as a province and as a country. Yeah, we are living in, in that divided time and the call for, for us to, okay, let's be in conversation about what's next, what it's time for, regardless of our politics, if you will. And I don't want to say politics is a bad word at all. You know, politics, when you look it up, politics is polis and it's looking at how do you organize your community. So. Of course, I think organized is better than disorganized. And how are we going to work together to, as uh, you know, towns, cities, uh, provinces, countries, nations, so that we are working together to the benefit of all people? Uh, someone, uh, I invited people to bring questions, and someone uh, offered this great one. It says, um, "Are CEOs more influential leaders than religious or political leaders?" That's an interesting question. Um, I think that in some, in some instances they are because they are actually, we live in a time when um, the lack of courage from a political standpoint means that that responsibility has rested on the corporate sector. And some CEOs and some sectors have taken that leadership role and actually one of them is in Calgary it's the Pathways Alliance, six CEOs coming together, leading and causing the, uh, the province and the country at the federal government to follow them on their climate initiatives and say, this is what we're going to do. This is how you have to help us. So it's a really interesting example about leadership and how that actually um, has, has translated on a national stage. I, you know, there's a challenge with that, though, because you have stakeholders 
as a company and they have different interests and I think the other side of it is that, that some of those interests, especially from a market perspective, drive decisions that are also short-term and not long-term. And so, you know, you have to be careful about that conversation, but I do think there are situations where we've seen the corporate sector step forward, set an agenda, and now the governments are trying to catch up because they actually realize that they have to be part of a solution that's, that's bigger than what their agenda may be and placating some of their constituents. It's going to be... It's, it's something that I think we see. And I think, you know, from a, from a faith-based perspective, I've long said that we have a crisis in faith, uh, broadly speaking, as society. And not enough people come together like you have today to really think about what's important. And I look at, you know, Ecclesiastes. My dad was a Talmudic scholar, so I have, I'm full of all sorts of things in my head. And um, it's, just, it's, it's just so critical for us to reflect, especially during a time when we do need that spirituality. We need that time to, to understand what's important and set it in context. But unfortunately, there's also a lot of polarization within the faith world. And, and so you have to find the place where you belong and where you can find meeting. But it's, it's critical to our, long, our, 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 our human being in yeah. humanity. Indeed, indeed. Well, when you think about that, who's, uh, maybe it's your dad, I don't know, who's, who's a mentor? Who's, who, when you think about leadership and what should I do, and you're by yourself and you're thinking this through, who, who do you turn to in your mind or heart? Lots of people. Um, I, so, and I'm going to apologize if I start to get teary. And here I go. It's okay. It's all right. When I was chancellor... <laughs> I, sometimes people would say that it was the crying chancellor. I'd get sort of overwhelmed with emotion. <laughs> <laughs> this is who I am. <laughs> Good. But my mother is a huge, I mean, she's not here, but uh, was a huge role model for me from a leadership perspective, I think. So my mom was, my parents were Holocaust survivors. They were not in camps, but they, my dad lost all of his family. My mom lost most of her family. Long stories about how this didn't, how they were not in camps, but that's, that's time, for another time. Mom came to Canada, my parents came to Canada, didn't speak English. Mom went to university at the University of Alberta, learned English, did a PhD in history, was the eighth woman tenured at the University of Alberta. She was a formidable presence of about five foot, if she was lucky, and <laughs> very black and white, in good and bad, but also very focused on what was important and not afraid to say what she needed to say and sometimes not so diplomatically. I will absolutely, <laughs> there are people that she, she sort of put offside. But she taught me the courage of conviction and the fact that you have to stand up for what you believe in and what's right. And sometimes you're going to deal with the fact that people don't like that. But if you're keeping in mind the long-term you know, long-term ideals and being true to, you know, Shakespeare, above, above all, you know, to thine, thine own self be true. Um, during the, um, the holiday of Yom Kippur in, uh, in the Jewish tradition, when we fast for a day and ask for pray for atonement, we ask for forgiveness for the sin of complacency. Mm. And I've never asked for forgiveness for the sin of complacency because my, my mother was so forthright in terms of you must stand, you must advocate, and sometimes it's not going to be easy, but that's what's really important. But over the years, you know, so mom's sort of that guiding light, that North Star, but also, you know, people who I've had the fortune to work with over the years um, in this city and other parts of the country. Um, 
uh, somebody in the city that people know well, Mike Timms has been a mentor for me, Dick Haskane, Jim DeWald, um, Elizabeth Cannon, who was former president of the university. Um, I've been fortunate, Drew Marshall, who I knew from undergrad at the University of Alberta, who was also the provost of the University of Calgary and the University of Alberta. I've just had the fortune to meet so many people who've left something with me Mm. And I carry all their teachings and their ideas and their wisdom with me on a daily basis. Mm. Yeah, that's so great to think about uh, a the role of women and other leaders and how many. Uh, one of the things I think in a book I read, uh, "The Good Life" on my sabbatical, was that what we're what we're lacking the most is curiosity. And leaders with curiosity who are willing to wonder, uh, have conviction, try things out, fail, try things out, but the curiosity about how things work really matter. You know, I've always wanted to run a campaign in Calgary called uh, Why I'm Staying. Because I've noticed, I've been here uh, since 92, you know, that lots of Calgarians come and and my cynical side says they make their money and then they leave and then they complain about Alberta. That's my cynical side. But, but really, they, but people come. How do we encourage people to stay and that don't see this place as a come to place to make money and then a place to uh, move and spend it elsewhere and then critique? So how do we convince people to stay? Well, we have to change the narrative. And we really have to talk about what, what, what is so incredible about this, this city. Um, and there's so many things that we have to... We, so Alex Sarian, who runs, um, who is the CEO of, of Arts Commons, uh, who came from, he's Canadian, spent time in South America. He was um, previously with Lincoln Center in New York. And he said to me, I can't believe how much time I spend selling Calgary to Calgarians. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, okay. And this he says, you know, he, this, he started during COVID. So he's selling Calgarians, Calgary to Calgarians during COVID. And he hasn't <laughs> even experienced half of what we've got. Um, this is such an incredible city, and it's a city of community. And at a time when we don't have community, it's, it's welcoming. Can we do better? Absolutely. We have to do so much better on so many things. But it is a place where we do come together, and in, I think next week is 10 years since the flood. And when I think about how that brought people together and how we, you know, went all over the city to help people who we didn't know get their basins mucked out, get the stuff put in the, you know, get their bins full so that they could actually move forward and beyond having their, their lives disrupted. This city is um, a place where we know we can do what's, we can make the impossible possible. We've done it before. And we just don't talk about that community piece. You know, we volunteer more per capita than anybody in the country. We give more philanthropically than anybody else in the country. We do have 170 languages spoken. I did know that answer. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and the bike paths. But we do, we are a community organization. And it's funny because I ran into somebody, I would say the last couple of weeks, and they said they'd been in Toronto. And it was like, oh, yeah, hi, how are you? Yeah, you're from wherever or you've just moved here. And good luck to you, welcome to Toronto, and off you go. And here it's, you know, how can I help you? Do you need a dentist? Do you need a doctor? Do you need to, do you need to find, what school do you need? Do, you kid, do your kids need, need some help? Do you need a place to, to worship? What, how can I help you feel more comfortable and, and welcome in the city? And we do that as a community. We bring people together and we bring people in. But we have to do a better job of telling that story and keeping people here. This is, we do things, we don't say... Uh, no, we say how. And I would say that 
we were really good at the how for a long time, we've become a little uh, reticent to be as bold as we've been in the past. And I mm -hmm. think we're entering a time where we have the opportunity to do that again. And we have to do that again for the benefit of today and for the benefit of future generations. Yeah, that's helpful. Uh, I think we do have to um, celebrate the good things, the many good things that we are and who we are in times of trouble and times uh, of joy in this place. You know, there's been lots uh, coming out of COVID uh, and even through COVID where uh, people on the margins have felt shunned or um, put down or hateful language. How does, how does the chamber try to encourage uh, civility and uh, compassion? That's a great question. I mean, we have, um, you know, we've encouraged, we've, we've offered programs on diversity inclusion training for our members across the city. And they've had an opportunity to engage in that. We do have equity, diversity, inclusion, and accessibility as part of our philosophy. We have, you know, internally we have committees. We have a committee that meets, that report, reports to the board. And we, you know, we're focused on also the, the issue of reconciliation and how that works in, in the context of Calgary and broadly speaking uh, in the province. Where can we play a role and how can we make sure that it is actually not just words but action. So that's where we try and make a difference. But broadly speaking, we have to make it part of our everyday language and make sure that it's not a box-ticking exercise and people have to understand why it's important to make sure that we have an inclusive and a just society. When I think about, you know, um, I think it's the book of Deuteronomy, Justice, Justice You Shall Pursue, that's really, social justice is one of the key tenets of Judaism. And we talk about, in our world, we translate it into something called tikkun olam, which is the fi we fi try to fix the world. And we fix the world through charity. And to make sh making sure that we do consider those who need to be supported, welcomed, and uh, have a place. You talked about place. Place is so important. We need to make place and we need to make space for everyone. Yeah, that's good. Well, you kind of answered with the next question because I was going to ask, and we got two more, by the way. Like, how does, uh, how is your faith uh, informed, influenced, or shape who you are as a leader, as a mom, as a spouse, as a human? As a human. So, it's so a good I, question we should all be thinking about, <laughs> by the way. But anyway. It's, it's part of, you know, obviously I grew up, you grew up in a house of loss, you are very aware of your place and what you have to, what you need to do to um, help the world be a better place. To, what's your role in Tikkun Olam? So I'm going to tell a little story about how this informs how I think, how my husband and I think, and how our kids have been raised. Um, so my dad, there's something, there's something called the Jewish National Fund, and before the State of Israel became a state. Uh, Everybody, and these, these still exist, everybody would, Jewish households would get a little blue box and it was, um, you'd fill it with coins and then it would, the money would get sent and hopefully one day there was going to be a state. So my dad uh, grew up in Poland and every Friday before the Sabbath, he and a friend would be assigned to walk around his town to collect the blue boxes. And he told me a story of how he came to, they came to this one house on the edge of town. It was very poor. And his friend said, we shouldn't go here because we don't want to embarrass the people. And my dad said, well, and my dad was a very sort of quiet, um, introspective individual. And uh, he said, but you know, it's on our list. We should go and 
knock on the door because it's on the list. And they came to the door and there was a box that was full. Hmm. And that is a lesson that no matter what you have, there's always something for somebody else. And that's time, it's treasure, and that's what governs me. Hmm. I love that, thank you. Yeah, time, talent, treasure. You know, uh, the, the Ten Commandments are something we share. There are 613 in the scriptures. And I think this... this I don't do 613. Yeah. <laughs> My mother well, said if I disowned me, if I try, she would disown me if I tried to do 613. It's okay. You know what? Your rabbi, your rabbi, who we've had in worship with us too, uh, you know, he reminded us that the, the commandments are called the utterances. And we actually share the, the ten, and, and the first one is, love, is uh, you shall love no other uh, God but God, no other gods. And there's so many gods that people have, but the reminder in that. And through the pandemic, one of the things that was so important was to be reminded that those, the religious traditions are such grounding for us in our life and our faith. And it, I think the commandment of love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and neighbor as yourself is uh, something that is ecumenical, crosses all religious traditions, and certainly grounded us. So um, I want to say uh, thank you on our behalf for the leadership you provide at the chamber and those who you serve, and also for our city, and thanks for being an inspiration to us and our community as we seek to take our faith and our, our justice to the transformation of the world. You are a gift to us, and I want to thank you for that. Thanks so much for tuning in to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and are thinking about someone who might enjoy it too, we invite you to send it their way and help the podcast grow. We're really glad you're here and we'd love to know what you thought about today's sermon. Leave us a review in iTunes or send us an email at communications at hillhurstunited.com. We'd love to hear from you.